Hello and welcome to Review, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew, and this is episode 22. This is the second part of my conversation with Matteo Licata. We pick it up just after hearing about his car history, some of which he actually got to drive. So without further ado, let's rejoin the conversation. But I think this is a good point for us to go to go back to your, your career now, because you, you've come through design school. One thing, I'm sorry, I meant to ask you this earlier. Did you find it liberating or a really enjoyable environment that you were surrounded by people who also enjoyed designing cars? Because I would imagine in school, normal school, that you didn't have lots of people surrounding you going, yes, well, let's discuss wheel dimensions in wheel arches and how they should be flared and things like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was the weird one one at school, totally. Mm. So it it must have been so liberating and so... Such a great moment, particularly in someone young who's been, you know, the weird one in school to suddenly, oh, no, there's there's more of them out there. There's, oh, there's people I can talk to about this. Thank you. I can talk to people now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was, it was great, actually. The, the atmosphere in a design studio, once you step in and uh, you are new... Um, you know, every, everything looks fantastic, and uh, you and uh, you you see the cars before they actually come out, which is something that you are not used to. Uh, mm. Then you become used to it, but at first it's kind of a novelty, kind of a privilege, and you see the models. Um, you you actually you actually sketch for a living among peers. Yeah, yeah. It's and also it's a very open environment. I worked in several places, but overall there's always a nice atmosphere among colleagues in, in design studios. There's a lot of mutual respect, uh, shared interest, of course, and also it's very one another point that is very fascinating is that wherever you work car design is a very is a melting pot is a very multicultural uh, line of business let's say and even if you work in italy there are many designers from all over the world working in italy uh, so you are constantly in contact with um, people of different nationalities with a different point of view uh, speak and so you constantly speak more than one language at work and that must be so exciting to go into a a work environment where there's all these different ideas and uh, influences coming at you and you're being exposed to and is uh, is ultimately influencing what you produce that must be such a well, I mean, it sounds very exciting to me who isn't in that sort of environment, but that, that must be so. That must be such a a plus point of doing what you do. Yeah, it is. It is. Then, of course, um, there are you know projects come and go. Then, then there are company politics and so on and so forth. But the the work, I've I've never stopped and enjoyed it, and and also. Um, your colleagues also kind of kind of spur you to to do to do your best because being among peers, everyone sees what the other is doing, and so 
you are, you feel pushed, you know, to up the ante and uh, you know continuously getting better and better and better with, uh, with your drawings, and they're constantly um, exchanges of of opinion because you know I always I always say that put ten designers around the model and you'll end up with 11 opinions. <laughs> well, I, I've experienced similar to that because I used to work um, for a couple of architects firms. I was an architectural technician. And there'd be times where I'd get involved in the meetings between the lead architect on the project and the directors and partners of the business. And they would discuss a, uh, the, the design that was being proposed that was going to go to the client. And, you know, it would get down to nitty gritties of, things like why is this door here and all that. And I always found those discussions fascinating because I would be looking at it from a obviously a, a less design-orientated point of view and a more practical, but this needs to be built and it needs to be used by someone, so therefore I'm thinking that way. Um, whereas the architect was looking at a more aesthetic and a more flow and he'd be thinking of different things, or she. Um, and it was interesting when we would get students in because the the students that would come uh, from universities, they had hardly any practical education. So they would come with brilliant, fantastic ideas and they'd be full of enthusiasm. And you'd feel almost bad, but you knew it was necessary. When you sat with their with their design and go, that's great. However, it's not going to work because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And they've not been taught any of that. And you're the one who has to give that bad news, not the university. Um, so it was it, one thing that seems to come across to me from having talked to a few people who've been through design school. I mean, I know Nir Khan and Lee Walton went to Coventry. Um, and you've gone to a different one. But it seems to me that uh, the practical execution of a design is a key element of what is taught as well. So-and-so, let's say, I think that this, in my design school, the technical aspect wasn't sufficiently developed at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and broadly, um, people were, were, not, were not so pre- well prepared to discuss technical issues. But then, you know... I didn't have too much of a problem about that because being a car nut, um, what the school didn't teach me, I, uh, I knew it from other sources. And, yeah. and I always had a kind of form, a kind of way of thinking that, that, that they kind of never lost focus about the functionality of the car and how we can actually make this. And then the rest is experience. The rest is the rest are all the projects that you go through. Each one teaches you something, and as as you go along. But it's very very important for a designer, for a car designer, to to be half an engineer, let's say, mm, to be able to come up with solutions that can actually work on be a, being able mm. to justify solutions in a sort of way that the engineer will will start to think and say 
well, okay, yeah, maybe this way we can make this work. Yeah, you've got, you've got to be able to talk enough in their language to get across your design and and uh, encourage um, the thought to expand from what they were possibly thinking. Uh, and also when they speak to you, you can understand what they're saying. Absolutely. It's crucial. I think one of the one of the keys for to achieve great car design in any company is a smooth and uh, constructive relationship between designers and engineers. That, uh, mm. with, without each one of them, you don't have the final product. Yeah, it, it's one of those few instances where it is. it seems to me as an outsider that it is a true partnership. It has to be. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you the big question. Yeah. Well, I've asked you that. I've, I've warmed you up slightly by asking you what successful design is, but what do you think makes great design? What What for you makes great design? Ooh, wow, that's very big indeed. Yeah, I mean, you know, just in 140 characters, if you can answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, regarding regarding card, a great car design. Mm, one of the first thing I can I can think is that is something that doesn't lose its aesthetic value uh, over time. That's uh, that it becomes a kind of a classic. That's the definition of a classic. Okay. And for example, I, I remember you you spoke a lot with with Lee about uh, Chris Bangle. And for example. Mm. We can say the E60 5 Series in that in this respect is a brilliant design because it hasn't lost aesthetic value. It's still valid no. today, even more than it was new. So this is one of a first um, one of the first requirements. Then, of course, the second fit perfectly a coherence between uh, between the design. And its function, mm, let's say co- coherence. The car should be a sport. Uh, the car is a sports car, so the des- so the design kind of implies it, underlines. When it. you look at when you look at the car, you know the purpose it's meant for. Exactly, exactly. Self-explanatory, and it should also because we are talking we are talking about cars fit the brand, fit what you expect, what is the ethos. Of uh, of the brand because you know all car companies are a hundred years old or almost so mm. they have a legacy you can't avoid and uh, and so mm, there I ha- I also want to see coherence with uh, what the, what the brand stands for but without being retro the great design is coherent with with the brand's legacy and message, but moves it forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so in those instances, you're talking uh, maybe there is a common theme. Um, I, oh, there's there's a couple of brands that like a particular way that their C pillar works or looks, but that but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are putting a pastiche 1960s headlights on the front. Exactly. I'm, in, this, in, this, in this case, I'm not talking about the small design features. I'm talking about more in general. But yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, 
basically basically i th- i think we got that i'd be extremely happy to to be able to come up with something like this that uh, <laughs> that respects all the criteria <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know and then and then you move on to your next design after lunch on the on monday <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a very tricky it's very tricky i mean particularly as uh in the last 10 15 years we have gone on a bit of a run of of retro design in inverted commas coming out where there was homages to older cars there was the Fiat 500 there was the uh, the mini um the beetle um and it it's a it's a tricky thing to to make a successful nod to the past yet still as you were saying then still move it forward still make it current um, still make it attractive to today's wider audience as opposed to people, specialist people who prefer that older look. Um, that, that's it. I mean, because if, if it was easy to do, there'd be so many people doing it, obviously. But it does seem to be a very hard trick. I mean, um, if we just, for example, you were saying earlier as well about uh, companies that um, have sort of classic cars in inverted commas again uh, in their in their stable uh, Land Rover seemed to be thinking very long and hard about the Defender because it was and, and I think that's it is one of those few cars that you can say icon to um, but it, they have that there and it, it, it is ingrained particularly in Britain of what a Defender or a series Land Rover looks like, and whatever they bring out is not going to please most people from whatever their angles they come at. It. People are not going to be happy. However, people some people weren't ha- have taken ages to get over the fact that Mini is not this tiny little car from the sixties anymore. It's a, it's a people have to appreciate that it's a different brand now. That that these things are brands. Yeah, but I don't know. In my point of view, that I've uh, always, that I have often expressed on Twitter regarding the Defender issue, is that I think, while I hugely respect the work that Jaguar Land Rover is doing, because they have the best range they've ever had, great vehicles, and great designs. So, of course, they know what they are doing. But the Defender, I think, shouldn't have died. Because, I mean, they're making lots of money with the Range Rovers. And um, why they couldn't do, like Mercedes, re-engineer the car underneath, but, but... keeping the Defender alive because Mercedes is going to build the G-Wagon for as uh, for as long as people buy it. Yeah, that's never going to die, I think. I think that's what will be left after a nuclear winter. You'll see the G-Wagon left on the side. <laughs> those those things are perpetually out. I mean, again, that's another car I was lucky enough to have experienced when I was a child uh, and is wonderfully ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, now it's even more ridiculous because they've AMG'd it and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, at the time I had, again, it was the three-litre petrol engine. 
And it was, it was just, as a child, it's marvellous because you're in a different postcode to your parents because um, it was a long wheelbase one. Oh, yeah. You know, the it will never get, no matter how much stuff you have, it never gets full. No one else has one. You have the visuals of a tank, and as a you know a, a young boy, I'm sorry, there's not a lot more that you know was pleasing me at that time than you know. Look, I'm virtually dry. I'm virtually being driven around in a tank here. All it needs is a turret on top, and I'm I'm away. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're invading another country at this point. Uh, you know, and and it was just marvelous. You know, it's, I, I think it's what you were saying uh, about the BX. I was in a car that no one else was, and I was thinking, why aren't you trying to do... Why aren't you in something different? Yeah. Why are you all in the same cars? <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's important for um, that car for the imagination of a child. That mm. car is always something special, you know, always has a special meaning to the... Um, to the child, and of course, especially if it's something that stands out. Yeah, 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 totally. I'm, yeah. I'm glad my dad had a BX <laughs> and not a regatta or something. Yeah, sorry, but just going back to the 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 defender issue you were saying there, I feel, and I'm I'm possibly well out on this this guess, but I just feel that the way that. Uh, Land Rover have positioned their brands with the Range Rover and the, and the uh, the Discovery brand now. That it seems to me that there could be a third brand for the Defender, and we could see multiple. I, I mean, there was always multiple variations of a Defender, but I think we could see two or three distinct models under the Defender badge. Could be, could well be. But you know, you you also hear things like it's going to be our most technologically advanced. Uh, Land Rover ever, and you think, well, that's not in the ethos of the Defender. The Defender was a simple, again, inverted commas here, but this was a simple vehicle that was that was going to be used in a very utilitarian way, and it had to be hardy and put up with a lot of hard living. So, making it technologically advanced doesn't sound like it's going to hit that that sort of area that they were in previously. So, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm British, so I'm very, very biased about the Land Rover and I want it to do well and I want Jaguar to do well. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think they've got some cracking vehicles out there and I think they've made, they've done some, they've got some design choices, which I can understand why they have done it from a business point of view, but I don't personally like, but then again, I'm not the target market. So, uh, and it'll sell, so that's the main thing. It will sell, so they can do the interesting things like the um, the eye pace and things like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. I, I want to ask then. I don't want to ask about. Okay. You you worked at Fiat, didn't you? Uh, yeah, a couple of years. And uh, was there any other brands that you worked at that um, the the myself and the listeners would know? You you mean other you mean another brand? Yes. Oh yeah. After after Fiat, I worked for a um, for a Chinese manuf- manufacturer in Turin mm-hmm. because you know the the crisis the decline of the of Turin's the design design factories the the carrozzerias 
left some excellent manpower out of work. And, and yeah. so the, um, a couple of, at least a couple of Chinese companies have luckily stepped in and, to, uh, and opened studios in Turin to tap into, into this resource. And so I worked three years there. And then I just wanted to leave Italy. And I wanted to leave Italy no matter what. Like, uh, I was... Okay, it was time to go. It was time to explore, was it? Yeah, absolutely. I was, um, I was looking for something else. And I sent, I sent portfolios all over. Unexpectedly, the Spaniards were the first to respond. <laughs> <laughs> so I found, my, I found myself in Barcelona. I'm uh, happy, to be there, happy to be here. Yes, it, uh, as I said at the top of the show, it just sounds truly awful for you. And we, we, we will start a hashtag of uh, pray for Matteo <laughs> um, on Twitter. Uh, just... <laughs> As as my green-eyed jealousy um, bites through the internet at you, are there any cars on the roads that uh, myself and the listeners could say, "Oh, Matteo had a hand in that"? That you you can tell us. Oh well, had a hand is an is an excellent um, is an excellent way way of saying it because you know that's an important point to stress. Mm, despite the rock star image that media um, that media always no often uh, often give to the, the to the chief designers like he did this he did that in reality it's all about teamwork so designers have a hand some less or more but a car is always the result of the work of a lot of people. That is a very, very important point to stress. But anyway, com- coming back to the question, I was lucky enough in Fiat to have my my key sketch to be selected for the, the interior of the Alfa Romeo Giulietta that made production. Mm-hmm. And so it is actually the design theme that I proposed and I participated to the development, of course, with chief designer overseeing it all and lots of people, teammates having input in it and all together. But I don't, I don't know them. I know you now. I don't, oh, they don't matter. They don't matter. <laughs> That's Matteo's interior. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's not. I'm, I'm only joking. I, I know it is very much a team, team effort. Lee was um, very good to uh, educate me on that as well, and making sure that I understood that there are many, so many people involved to make something like that um, come to fruition. So I, I am only joking. <laughs> I, I really am. I'm not. And and then. There is another car, there is another interior, but that that only circulates in China, so you will never see it, unless you go to Shanghai or or something, or holiday. (laughs) Actually, I saw it in Shanghai on the street. It it is a Chang'an model. It's the V7, it's called, the interior. The The car itself is quite unremarkable, but, you know, it's there. 
and uh, it, it was always nice to see it on the road because every time that they see a car on the road that they had something uh, to do with, um, it brings me memories of the people I worked with or of you know what happened during the project, the the good time we've had. So it was kind of kind of nice to to see this car passing by on uh, Nanjing Road in uh, in Shanghai, so far from home, and seeing this car and being reminded of uh, all all the the good time that they had with the colleagues in touring uh, while we were doing it. Well, that's excellent to hear because that was going to be a question I was going to ask you. Um, because I found I've found that if I've gone past a building, I've had something to do with that. I will get those memories, and it's it's good to know that um, it's not just me. The fact that so that that's excellent. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you know the the main reason why people choose to um, to be a designer, car designer or not, designer of something else is to to see your idea made reality that's the that's the mm. satisfaction that's the the, the satisfaction that uh, that fuels you always you want that drawing to become something real yeah that's the main driver yeah. always if i go to shanghai i can uh, i've got a chance of seeing one of your interiors you've got the julietta interior the Julieta, not the Julia. Uh, Julieta, because yeah. you know I left Fiat in two thousand and nine, so the Jul ah, yeah. the Julia back then wasn't even in the drawing board. Yes, we won't we won't delve further into that subject. I've I've seen conversations from other designers about that. Um, <laughs> is there anything else out there that we would we could possibly come across that you've uh, that's got a little bit of you in? Mm. Lately, lately, no. There are stuff in the pop, a pipeline, but um, mm-hmm. we can talk about that. There is um, a rifle. <laughs> okay. That they did recently. It's a, <laughs> a, 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 a it's a name a, a soft air rifle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because you know our studio, uh, we spe- we specialize on uh, on automotive but mm. we do have some customers that uh, that are not automotive and we do some product design as well and so i had a <laughs> i had to design oh, a- i really can't let alan ever meet you then oh no you you he he'd bore you to death because that's what he did at university um he did product design so and, and, oh, and actually it's fun is from time to time it's good fun to design something that is not a car because you you see the things under a different light and also the the funny thing is that a simple a simple product you can have it can it can be all yours mm. there there will there won't be a ton of people working on it and yeah. so it is actually your design and you see it in production a few a few months afterwards. It's like uh, you know, uh, you you do it and it's already you do it and it's already in production. And yeah. so it's it's fun. Uh, it's fun. And it was it was kind of funny my desk in that period because since a fake rifle 
to look good has to look like a real one. Mm. I I had my desk. It it looked like the desk of a terrorist. <laughs> you were sitting there blindfolded, breaking them down and putting them back together in thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, full of brochures of uh, firearms and stuff like that. <laughs> I went to design school for this, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couple of questions. Well, one one big question I want to ask you now. The the last uh, the big designery one, really, from history of automotive. What are your top three car designs? If you can say them, yeah, without, without without offending customers or clients or anything like that, and um, and this is why I'm saying through history because I, I you know I'm not trying to pick on current cars or anything like that, but from history that you think are great design, mm. and could you um, easily summarize why you think that is? Okay, because you've you've given us the framework, you've t- you've explained the framework before, but some some tangible. Uh, examples, three examples would be would be wonderful because it would just help. I think for people who aren't designers like myself, um, I'm playing that part tonight of the idiot. Um, for for us to understand and and have something very easy to say. Ah, oh, right, okay. Oh, now I can see because he's explained about this particular part or whatever. Mm, I'm afraid the the answers might be a bit predictable. Because you know some cars are really uh, are really beloved for a reason, and uh, the first the first one I have no doubt at all, and uh, is the Citroen DS. It can be anything else because it is the probably the only time in history that the car has been really reinvented from the ground up. They put everything into discussion again, uh, from the way the from the way the chassis was built, from the way suspension was built, glazing, seating, uh, interior design as well. Because you know the DS also was innovative in that respect, because the the, the DS actually the dashboard was molded in plastic and actually designed something that in 1955 wasn't actually current in 1955 you had just you know steel or wood if it was a british car and then clocks Mm. that's it to control the machine to keep everything in check Uh, and that was it it was a machine control room So it was really that ground shaking, that that earth shattering. Yeah, I think we will never see anything like that. And you know, contemporarily in the in the US, they were the, it was the rocket tail fins era <laughs> of great also of great creativity. But those wonderful for pedestrian safety, absolutely. But those. <laughs> Those cars that has that had fins and were inspired by jet fighters and rockets, actually the DS is the only car that ever looked like it could fly. Actually, mm. you know, uh, it was. We will never see something like that. They took we, the, the they took the auto, the, the automobile how it was, how it had been up to that point, and, and turned it around and said, okay, 
that's it. <laughs> that's it. This is the future. I think part of the problem will be that um, the business side of car manufacturing won't allow that sort of experimentation again. Mm, yes and no. Yes and no, because... Mm, Citroën was bankrolled by, by Michelin. They took 10 years to design the DES. And at first, they weren't making money on it at first. But uh, I, think, I think Tesla as well has done something not of the same magnitude because the car looks familiar, but actually the, the technology underneath, the way the, the technology underneath the relationship between man and machine has actually been changed a lot. Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. That um, I, I may not always agree with how Tesla operates as, as a company, but I think their technology and the, what, what they giving us a glimpse to how we could or how we possibly will be uh, using transport in the future is amazing. And, and and that I I am constantly bowled over uh, with what they have done in the space of time they have done it totally um, and 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 also what it means for us. I mean, I, like I say, I, I may not always agree with the execution uh, of how they do things, and that goes for many companies. But I think what they are providing us a glimpse of uh, and, and a real idea of is is amazing and it, it's it's just stunning that i'm i i feel oh it's gonna sound so un, un-british but i feel very privileged to be living through that and seeing such a, a seismic change totally it's a great time to be alive and it's an exciting time in the, in the motoring industry and i say hmm since we are talking about it i think the model s Makes the cut, and they put and they, and they and they pick it as a as a as a second car because it's okay. because you know the the this thin battery on the floor changes completely the the layout of the car and also they change it totally the the relationship people have they manage it to change the pace of the industry forever. They forced the other automakers to wake up and follow them. And this is something that will actually be their lasting achievement. Yeah, I agree. I I think, yeah, I agree with you there that it's what it's caused the industry to do so much as what they are in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, probably they will go past. Tesla probably will go bust, but the but the progress we've uh, we've seen we are seeing from the from all manufacturers they are actually the cause of it they are the driving forces, and so that's extremely important. And I will for my third car, I will pick. Another saloon because I wanted to be ori- I want to be original also, <laughs> and I will put the NSU R080. All right, because that was not as earth shattering as the DS was, but it was a car twenty years ahead of its time. Again, it was a nineteen eighties car made in the sixties. 
and mm. and actually you can see the influ the lasting influence of the Aero 80 into Audi design, the first aerodynamic, aerodynamic uh, Audi 100, the C3 generation, the Audi 80, similar to that. Mm. They, they carried on the, the message that was the message of the Aero 80. The Aero 80 in 67 was, was looking unlike anything that had gone, uh, that, that had gone before it. Um, it's such a yeah. You're right. I mean, I, I've just uh, quickly googled it um, to to remind myself of the uh, of the design, and it's such a modern look. It is it it is the eighties. Yeah. Imagine that this was 1967, and the same year Fiat presented the the the, the 124. Just amazing. Yeah. Pu <laughs> you put the, you put one beside the other. And, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, that, that, that's, they, they are some cracking choices there. They're very interesting choices. And sorry for putting you a little bit on the spot there. Yeah, that's, that's made me think. I will, I will now go and ponder and look at those again uh, and, and look at them with fresh eyes. Try and look at them again with fresh eyes. I want to move now on to um, the quick fire questions, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. Um, and I shall start with, well, I, I will start with the bit where I'm just going to announce how I'm going to fail massively, um, because the idea is that I ask you, you've, you've listened to the show before, but for any new listeners, I am going to ask a series of questions. Uh, Matteo is going to answer it with what he thinks is his best answer. I will then move. The idea is then I move on to the next question. Um, and not then say something like, ah, but, or, oh, that's interesting, <laughs> however, <laughs> or something like that. Um, last week, I managed to make it to question two. So let's, let's see if I can break my record and make it to maybe three this, this week. <laughs> but the pr problem is, and it's my own fault, I've made these questions. I've written these questions in such a way that it, it encourages me to ask a second question or a supplementary question. So it's my own fault. It's my own stupidity here. But let's let's have a stab at it anyway. And I'm going to ask the, the first one, which is, what currently excites you about the motoring world? Wow. Mm, I think that the, the great cars we have now excite me a lot. I think, as we were saying previously, mm, and as I often stress uh, on Twitter, um, car, car enthusiasts more often than not exaggerate uh, with their rose-tinted glasses, looking bad and nostalgia or, of the good cars of the old times. I love the old cars of the good times, but we should live and enjoy also this great moment when we do have the finest cars we've ever had. The level, the level of technology, yeah. refinement, performance is amazing nowadays. Every Reliability. Yeah, totally. Every, every time I rent a, a 10,000 euro super mini from, from Hertz, I'm reminded just how bloody good even economy cars nowadays are. 
Yeah. And uh, the level of fit and finish, um, all the all the the features you have, and how sure footed feels on the road, even the cheapest of cars, uh, ride quality. Um, I was. I remember. I, I remember when I travel to Italy. I often rent a Fiat 500s because that's the most common car rental cars agency are. Have there, but you know, flat out 160 kph on the motorway, <laughs> barely any noise, and it's a cheap car, it's a small yeah. car. So, um, that, 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 that's something that was the preserve of uh, big saloons once, and yeah, and the, uh, not to mention the progress we have is uh, we have made in safety. And also the performance, we, we last about cars that, yeah, they are great to drive, but they, they are performance icons, but they're not actually fast anymore. No, no, that's true. <laughs> any, any family car nowadays, it's a, pretty, it's a rocket, ship, rocket ship in comparison to most performance icons that we have, all the Ferraris, all the Porsches, you can smoke yeah. them with a diesel Mondeo. Yeah, 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 quite true. Um, yes, you, you're quite right there. So I'm going to move on to question two. Uh, I know I've said a little bit, but I haven't really, uh, honestly, honestly, I haven't really said anything there. Um, what currently worries you about the motoring world? Um, let's say that. I got a privileged position because I'm actually part of the motoring industry. I'm I'm as I'm participating my little bit in its future. So a designer is I think it's an inherent optimist for the future. Mm -hmm. So I think the future won't suck. So I'm not so worried about it. Okay. But I because you've got your hand on the tiller. <laughs> a bit, <laughs> just a, just a bit. Yeah. So I think we... you and your friends, anyway, your colleagues. <laughs> exactly. So the only thing that they really worry is, you know, intrusions. Um, from poly, from politicians that uh, pronounce ill-conceived laws and kind of messing about with the uh, with the development of technology, because yeah. I'm afraid that maybe in the near future those who enjoy classic cars won't be able to won't be able to drive in the city because they were they they're going to be banned. And these stupid things like that, you know, politics meddling with the with the motoring industry in a in a bad kind of way. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a happy happy balance between encouraging innovation and pushing innovation with um, interference that harms the consumer. Because who, who ends up taking the brunt of this at the end of the day is us the consumer um because costs get carried on or we're as you were saying you know because paris is banned cars over a certain age 
particular days of the week. Um, that's going to move London's about to bring in its um, lovely, happily titled Toxic Charge, um, where they're going to penalise older diesels uh, and things like this. So it, it, there's a difference between uh, pushing for innovation, pushing because um, a business doesn't want to expend any more money than it has to. Um, so if they can be encouraged to do that by legislation, that's one thing. But then coming in and moving goalposts, you know, arbitrarily almost, that's not fair and that's not right. But that's what's happening at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Uh, I was, I've was i never been a fan of diesel, but come on, um, the people bought diesels because, because we're convenient and also pay the less tax because because they use less fuel so less co2 so in a kind of way it was considered a kind of ecological choice the car is new yep. or relatively new and then people can't use it anymore it's yeah i i, I think I, I think it's it's something that that i'm seeing at the moment i basically i don't like politicians deciding what I should drive, in short. Well, I think we're all with you on that one. Um, I'm going to move on to question three, and knowing I've failed now, there's there's no hiding it now. Um, But what's been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? Mm. 1969 Jaguar E-Type 4.2 Roadster. Yeah, that's the one. I I had the um, the great opportunity to rent one of those for a week in England, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a great time with it. Absolutely unforgettable. Um, just the sensation of power and speed, which was mostly a sensation because a Jaguar E-Type is no longer a fast car. (laughs) Mm. But, you know, on those uh, British country roads, flooring the throttle, you you see this, uh, you, you feel this big nose, you know, pitching up the rumble of the, of the XK engine, wind in your hair because of course my head was <laughs> was popping out of the windscreen uh, <laughs> and in those moments I felt like the happiest most powerful man in the world it was like nothing, nothing beats it I've driven some great cars but by far the most rewarding must be the Jag. Again, as as this is based in Britain, that is good, thoroughly acceptable and a proper answer <laughs> to give. <laughs> okay, then, so conversely to that, then, what's been your least favourite car to drive and why was that? Also, this is easy. is is a 2003 Daivu Matisse. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> because there's, there's a bit of a story about that, because... One of my one of my first summer jobs was in 2003 uh, when Fiat was um, was announcing the the, two, the 2003 Panda, the first new Panda. Um, mm. I was involved with it 
together with several uh, with several young chaps and in a tour of, of northern Italy to show the car to present the new car to the to the dealerships and we had some competitor cars for for comparison hmm. and we had uh, we had the Matisse we had the uh, Opel Agila um, mm-hmm. and the first Twingo and yeah. uh, but the Matisse was truly awful like the Panda felt like a Rolls Royce in comparison <laughs> it was awful really really felt so unstable so precarious on the motorway the steering seemed connected to anything to nothing like it was unbelievably unbelievably vague and um, everything was hard plastic hard shiny plastic it was really really miserable (laughs) i've only ever heard that description twice given about somebody being in a car that it was miserable and it was the car it's not the journey or anything it was the car itself (laughs) and on both occasions that's made me heartily chuckle because I know what you. I know exactly what you mean. There is no joy can be brought from this, from being in this car at all. There is nothing joyful here. It is. It is all disappointing. It is all bad, and and it shouldn't be this way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, then uh, a slightly happier topic. Then, what car would you like to own next? As every as everyone that follows me on Twitter know. A brand new MX-5. Next year, I'm gonna do it. Have you have you got your color picked out and everything? I changed my mind several times. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see on that one then. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite road to drive on? Oh, many, many. But probably I'd pick one that is a that is a good driving road but also because i have lovely memories about it it must be the the grand corniche between monaco mm-hmm. and nice in france okay and it, that's that's not a bad road to be fair yeah loved it because it being the being the the higher the highest corniche you have great view great view very little traffic and so it's and connects to very to very glamorous places. So uh, I remember with my two MX-5s before um, doing uh, doing that road a lot and plenty of good memories about that. Yeah, so that's it. The Grand Corniche. Excellent, excellent that one. Uh, what has been the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? Mm, this is going to be a really, really freaky one. Okay, I like this already. The the anti-sync feature of uh, the latest uh, uh, hydraulically suspended Citroëns. Ooh, okay. Because you know that if you look at it from the XM onwards, uh, hmm. hydraulic uh, hydropneumatic Citroens just just don't go down anymore when you park it, uh, when you park them. You have to press a button, don't you, to do it? Yeah, the, because because the, the it has 
a reserve of pressure that keeps the car level even without the engine running. And this was made so, so people can park over curbs and don't care about if the car goes down and scratches it. No? You know? The, the, but I hate it because it, it makes the hydraulic suspension invisible. Yes. So people no longer know about it. And, and I remember as a child, the starting procedure of the BX, how much I enjoyed it. To, to, I enjoyed every, every, each one of the few seconds the car took to put itself to, to riding height. It yeah. just feels so special. Why do you take this away from me? Like yes, well, there's there's an XM near me, uh, and the person parks on the road, and they always put it down. They they deliberately put it down every time they park, and then they 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 definitely must be thinking the same thing as you. No, I want this special feeling that my car goes up and down at the movement of a lever or the press of a button that I can make this happen. So I want it to happen, please. None, none of this artificial keeping it up in the air thing. I don't want that. Exactly. <laughs> yes, you've removed this. They've removed a special, a special moment. Yeah. In the owners' lives, all it is is just it's just a little thing, but it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So, following our call, who do you think I should talk to next after you? Hmm, that's something I thought about long and hard because uh, I think most of the people that we follow on Twitter, you you must have them already on your list. So I try to think about people that speak good English and and maybe aren't on your list. I think I can I can try if I if I pro. If I provide you the contacts to convince a couple of people to uh, to chat with you on the podcast, and one is a British man, a good friend of mine from the Fiat period, uh, called Simon Grand, and now he's a senior designer in Jaguar Land Rover. All right, and uh, he's really, really a great guy. Super knowledgeable, lots of interesting stuff to uh, to talk about. Absolutely, would would be a great guest. Absolutely, at least okay, uh, at least two shows. <laughs> it would be good <laughs> for at least two shows. I'm so I'm sure. <laughs> and and then another British man I picked them because so I'm sure they they speak a better English than me <laughs> oh well your your English is, is stunning and you know you considering this is not it's nowhere near your first language you, you know you're living in Spain you're from Italy and you're speaking to me in English this is you know um it just reinforces my ignorance of languages <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've made it so easy to chat to you. Uh, I have to say. <laughs> well, thank thank you very much. I'm <laughs> I appreciate because you know I was worried about my accent before the, the before the before your call. I was like wondering, oh, maybe my accent would be awful. <laughs> maybe it's... no, not at all, not at all. Okay, 
So uh, there is another person that uh, that would be that would provide a nice a nice perspective to uh, uh, to you because there is this uh, this gentleman Michael Atkinson, and he's mm-hmm. a three D modeler. All right. And so is another vital function in the design process because the designers come up with the drawing, come up with the concept, come up with the feeling, but then the but then we we have to work um, in special harmony with the 3D modelers that the, the that make the virtual model to 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 be able then to mill it from clay and then modify or make engineering checks and actually is is a job that doesn't is a job profile that doesn't have any visibility outside the world outside the design field but actually it's it's very important for the industry lots of professionals do it and it's um they are actually key people and uh, they get paid very well for that do you think um, virtual reality is a threat to that? No, I don't think virtual reality is a threat to to car design to car designers in general and to three D model to three D modelers in particular. Because if you are making a virtual reality presentation or, or a virtual reality experience, I don't know the data you are seeing in three D has been made by a 3D modeler. It's it's a a profile you can't avoid. They're still involved. Okay. uh, And um, actually, it's something that might be interesting to have you on the show so people might learn about, uh, about this job position, which is very, very important in today's car design world. But has no recognition no absolutely they don't get it they don't get any credit and uh but actually they are vital yeah there'll, there'll be times on twitter that i'll see uh say form trends or someone like that or car design news and they'll tweet out a you know a throwback to um some clay models or some mock-up design of cars that didn't get accepted. You know, this was in the very early planning phases. And it, I find it um, fascinating to see how a design has progressed to when it gets released to the public. So, yeah, no, they are um, brilliant choices. Thank you very much for those. Um, and, yes, if if um, you can put in a good word for the podcast, I'd, I'd be delighted to have Absolutely. either or both of those two place. on. That would be brilliant. That'd be brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, right, well, it's it's the final question now, and that is, uh, now people have, have heard your, your fascinating story to get into where you are today, and uh, hearing your your thoughts on design and what makes classic design, and your, uh, your interesting choices for what you think embodies classic design um, from history. What are the best ways for people to follow, to follow you and uh, find out more about what you're doing? Well... As you'd expect, I'd say Twitter mm-hmm. because really I'm I'm not very present online. I don't have online portfolios or stuff like that. And um, 
but I do, as you see, as you can see, I do enjoy a lot Twitter because, you know, all my friends in, in real life, they are normal people. They don't care about <laughs> They're normal people. They're not weirdos who like cars. <laughs> and, and so Twitter for me has been a way to get in touch with, uh, with, with car enthusiasts all over the world. And so I enjoy talking cars through Twitter yeah. with, with, with enthusiasts. So for me, I'm very active there and I love it. So You were at, uh, just, a, just if anyone was... Wondering if they should follow you, but weren't you at the um, Classic Monte Carlo recently? Oh yes, it did. Yes, I did. You were you were, you were um, kindly passing on pictures of some of the stunning cars that were being thrown around in the snow and the ice. Oh yeah, there, there was only slight rain because I was here in Barcelona uh, at the start at the starting point at the starting procedure. Because, uh, you know, the Monte Carlo Rally, they follow the, the classic format of, uh, of uh, have a concentration run uh, from various cities. And uh, Barcelona is every year one of the cities they chose to, um, to start from. And actually, okay. I was privileged uh, to see Jean Ragnotti uh, taking the start on a Renault 8 Gordini. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, it, it was great, it was great. But this being Barcelona, there was no snow, no ice. No, I can't have everything. <laughs> too close to the sea, you see. See, you, you've let yourself down by being too close to the sea now. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I have enjoyed uh, is your, what seems to be a recent series, which is um, you going through uh, certain car museums. And and passing those on, they've they've been excellent fun um, to uh, to follow when you when you get the chance to do that. So uh, thank you very much for putting that on Twitter. Oh, thank you, thank you too for for looking at it. It's uh, it's my pleasure. You know, every time that that I am in that I am in a situation that could be interesting for enthusiasts, I'm happy to share it. No, it's great. It's, it, 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 I, I always, it, it, that is one of the things that um, uh, I, I really like about Twitter is that people are so happy to share. They, they'll find something and because we're of a like mind, we don't necessarily agree with each other all the time, but we're of a like mind. We are happy that people are, are prepared to say, look, I saw this car down this side road. Have a look at this. And, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, we'd, everyone would have gone, yeah, well, it's one of those, isn't it? But now we're sort of going, we're, we're uh, having a, I don't think it's like a re-education, but it's more of a, an, we can now appreciate it. Yeah. Um, And we can appreciate it for, the fact that it, it it was mundane, perhaps, or it was exciting and we just didn't appreciate it and things like that. So I'm, yeah, I'm so thankful for Twitter being there and allowing me to connect with the people that I do with yourself, uh, you know, because it's through Twitter that you're now on this this podcast and everyone else who's who's been on the podcast. Um, I, I just think it's a brilliant place uh, that I'm 
that everybody that I've chatted to has been open and happy and friendly to, to chat to me. So um, it, it, for as much as you hear social media being attacked, I, I think it, it can be a great, lovely place that uh, allows like-minded people to um, to explore and enjoy their their, uh, their hobbies, their pleasures, their enthusiasms. Totally, I totally agree with you. I think that uh, car enthusiasts, uh, no matter where they live, they all they all speak the same language. You know, mm, we are we are just this uh, the like the same tribe. We 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 get yeah. along together, and it doesn't matter if you like car that I don't like. In the in the end, we are all car enthusiasts, and and it's and it's great actually, really yeah. really great. Well, I just want to uh, round out now by saying um, thank you once again for coming on here. I've had I've had a great time. I could talk to you for hours and hours, um, but I'm I'm conscious that you may need some sleep tonight <laughs> at some point eventually. Um, but thank you for helping to educate me uh, a bit more in design. It's continuing my my continue my ongoing learning for uh, car design and what is what is good design and what are the things to look out for so that's been brilliant it's also alan will probably want to thank you greatly for um waxing lyrical about mx5 <laughs> um <laughs> it's been a brilliant time thank you so much for coming on i uh, really appreciate you uh, you doing that okay thank you very much for inviting me it's been a pleasure also for me it's been great and it's a honour for me to uh, to be on your podcast. Oh, no, well, that's very kind to say. Maybe we'll get you back on again in, in a, a year or so and we'll see uh, what other interesting things you've been up to. OK, that'll be great. Can't wait. So that's the end of part two of my chat with Mattia. Thanks once again for coming on Rearview and chatting with me, Mattia. I hope you all listening found that conversation as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone I should come, I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Do remember our Audible offer, available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, which, if taken up, helps support the Motoring Podcast and what we produce. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing, as it really does make a difference to the show. So until next time, that was Matteo Lucata, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.
Thanks once again to Matteo for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope you all found that conversation as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. And if you could leave a rating and review, preferably on iTunes, that would be brilliant. If you've already left a rating and review, can I ask and encourage you to open uh, to tell someone else about this show? And because the best, the, the most reliable way for people to subscribe and listen to this show, which helps it grow in popularity, which helps it grow in visibility, is by word of mouth. So if you could pass this on to other people, that would be awesome. So until next time, that was Matteo Licata. I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.